Welcome to Find Myself Free, the podcast. I'm Ellie Young, alcohol-free life coach, mom, and athlete. I'm dedicated to helping others change their relationship to alcohol by sharing my journey of transformation. Fascinated by my own capacity for change after decades of gray area drinking, I'm passionate about sharing what I've learned from neuroscience and positive psychology to help you break free from the drinking cycle and unlock your true potential. Hear my personal stories of triumph and struggle as I navigate raising two boys, finding myself after 40, building a business, and doing it all alcohol-free. From women's health and cycle syncing to fasting and biohacking, this podcast is your roadmap to a healthier, purpose-filled life that starts with changing your relationship to alcohol. It's time to embrace change, find balance, and create the life you were meant for. Welcome to Find Myself Free. Hello, and welcome to Find Myself Free. My name is Ellie Young. I'm an alcohol-free life coach, and this is day six of Sober October. It is a Friday, and we are heading into the first weekend of Sober October. So this is where the real challenge kick, kicks in. Perhaps uh, during this week, you have been, um, it's been a little bit easier because Sober October started on a Sunday. So you were able to kind of set your recovery on that Sunday, Monday, Tuesday after maybe a weekend of drinking. And then as Thursday, Friday rolled around, the real mental cravings start to kick in. And you're like, what am I going to do for fun this weekend? What am I going to do for fun tonight? How am I going to relax? And so I wanted to give you some actual tactics that you can use tonight and today in preparation for tonight to set you up for success. So um, one of the tactics we're going to be talking about today is called decision-making fatigue. Now, this is something that we experience all day long. We make thousands and thousands of decisions, and our brain is always trying to create efficiency. So it loves habit. It loves patterns. It loves loops. If it recognizes something with a cue, it says, ah, this is familiar to me. I'm going to put you on this loop and I'm going to forget about it because it requires less energy. And so when we are cued to drink, the brain wants to default to the drinking pattern because it's easy, it's familiar, and it requires a lot less energy. But when we're attempting to break this habit and, um, you know, challenge ourselves to replace that behavior, it requires a lot more energy and the it requires the brain to do more work. So oftentimes our brain is our biggest enemy. It is fighting us. It is saying, hey, come on, it's much easier and faster and, and you know, more just requires less work for me to do the drinking pattern. So one thing we're going to do to eliminate as much friction as possible is we are going to close the door completely on the idea of drinking tonight. And again, you don't have to commit to the whole weekend. You're just focusing on tonight. I am not drinking tonight. I'm shutting the door on that decision. So that is actually going to free up so much mental space and energy for you to focus on what else is possible. What other things can you be doing tonight? And that is a is like a miraculous thing about being alcohol-free is once you eliminate all of the decisions you were making around alcohol, like what time am I going to start drinking? What am I going to drink? Um, who am I going to be drinking with? Um, 
ooh, should I probably eat something so I'm not showing up and drinking on an um, on an empty stomach? How many drinks should I have tonight? Like, ooh, you know, maybe maybe I'm going to try and make a rule that I'm not going to drink hard liquor tonight. I'm only going to have um, wine. So story for you about me and my first attempt at a dry January back in, this would have been dry January of 2021. We were just coming out of the rougher days of the pandemic. I was feeling pickled from the holidays. I really just wanted to lose weight and I decided I'm going to try dry January. Well, guess what? I only made it those first five days before I decided, you know what? I think I, it's okay. I'm going to drink on the weekend, but I'm not going to drink my normal stuff. I'm not going to drink tequila. I'm not going to drink rum with Diet Coke, which was my go-to. I was always wanting to have something with a lot of punch, and then I wanted caffeine to keep me up. Um, so that was really healthy. Um, and so I told myself, okay, I made it to Friday. That's like the most I'd gone, like a stretch of four or five days is the longest I'd gone in probably a decade. And I decided, okay, you know what? It's okay. You've worked really hard. You feel really good. Now you can have two glasses of wine tonight. And I didn't normally really drink a lot of wine. To me, wine was a gentler, a step down. And it was also considered, it's always considered much more appropriate and acceptable for, for a mom or a woman to have wine than it is for her to have like a cocktail, right? All of a sudden, it just, it, takes on less stigma. So of course she should have a glass of wine on a Friday night, right? You deserve it. Um, so I, I convinced myself that two glasses of wine was okay. And what I did is I drank those two and then I immediately wanted more. Once the alcohol was in my system and affecting me, I, all of my notions about, you know, limiting myself to two and this is sober Jan or dry January, you want to stick to this, make real change for yourself, feel better. It All I could focus on was how bad I felt, how miserable I was not continuing to drink. We were at a friend's house. We were playing this fun dice game. The kids were downstairs, you know, watching TV or something. And it, the night had just begun. And I had already drank my two glasses of wine. And all I could think about was just like, oh, I can't believe I'm done. And I'm watching everyone else drink and I'm counting how many drinks they're having. And I was miserable. My entire brain space was occupied by the fact that I was done and I couldn't have any more. So I want to show you biochemically what was going on in my brain at that time. Because when we try, this is why decision-making fatigue is so important, is because when we try to set rules for ourselves and limit ourselves with these modification kind of techniques or tactics, we end up spending so much time um, consumed by these decisions. And eventually our brain fatigues and we default to the old familiar pattern. So the goal with decision-making fatigue is to make one firm decision. I'm not drinking tonight instead of a thousand little decisions around moderating um, that will fatigue us to the point where the old habit just creeps in and we decide to hop on it. We say, Bucket, I'm going to drink. Um, so here's what's going on in your brain. Um, with that first drink, your dopamine and serotonin uh, are boosted, right? So um, you can see this is where baseline is. So we come in before we're drinking and maybe we're saying, ah, you know what? I want to feel good. A craving is a desire to feel different than your current state of being. You are chasing a new state of being. So we say, you know what? I want I want to drink. I want to have fun. I want to relax. I want to connect. Here I go. I'm going to start drinking. You have that first drink. Dopamine and serotonin are boosted. And then after about 20 minutes, that wears off. And 
um, it actually takes you below your baseline. And that is a function of dynorphin. So dynorphin is a neuropeptide that is released by the brain when it recognizes, whoa, we're out of balance. We're way up here with our dopamine serotonin. We need to get back to baseline. So it actually course corrects you, but it pulls you below your baseline. We recognize this as the buzz wearing off. We start to feel a little anxious, a little bit low. It doesn't feel good. And we just say, oh, I need another drink. My buzz wore off. So then we have a second drink. But the brain is so adaptive it actually does not give out the same amount of dopamine and serotonin that second time because it is proactively saying, whoa, 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 we want to stay at baseline. We don't want to get that high. So again, it releases more dynorphin, this time pulling you even lower. And again, we have that third drink and it doesn't take you as high. And then the dynorphin then again pulls you lower and lower. That is why this is called, alcohol is considered a depressant. There is a depressant effect biochemically going on in your brain. And a lot of the times we don't recognize this going on because we continue to drink and we continue to dull our senses and numb ourselves to the point where you either get really, really sleepy and pass out um, or you get sick, right? Um, this is also a function of tolerance. The more you drink, the more the brain adapts and actually becomes really, really proactive with dynorphin. And it starts releasing it in a, in anticipation of you drinking. If you're, if you're going into a Friday night or if you drink every night at the same time around five o'clock or whatever, um, your brain proactively says, oh, we are anticipating this big boost of dopamine and serotonin. So we're going to pre-release dynorphin and it actually will take you below your baseline, creating a craving for that drink, which is why that first drink feels so satisfying because the brain has proactively created a low in, in anticipation of you artificially boosting it with this drink. So um, while you are also, the depressant effect also causes the brain to release adrenaline and cortisol because it says, whoa, now we're way down here. We're super low. We need to release some stress hormones to get our energy back up. So that is why you wake up at 3 a.m. with anxiety, your heart's racing, and you can't get back to sleep, and why we have anxiety in the morning and you're just kind of riddled with this adrenaline and cortisol. This is also why we have trouble falling asleep. If you have been a regular drinker and you're using alcohol to give yourself this depressant effect to help yourself fall asleep, and your body is always re releasing adrenaline and cortisol, um, when you remove the alcohol and you remove that depressant effect, your body still has a lot of adrenaline and cortisol pumping through its body. And it takes a number of days for that to like reacclimate, and you get homeostasis. For some people, it can take a week. Some people, it can take up to a month, depending on how, you know, how much drinking of yours was chronic. Um, I do also want to mention that a function of tolerance. It doesn't just affect the pleasure, the dopamine and serotonin that you're getting from alcohol. It affects anything that makes you feel good. It affects how good it would feel to have a piece of dark chocolate, how good it would feel to go for a bike ride with your kid. It basically, dynorphin is, is keeping you below your baseline in anticipation of these big boosts 
But guess what? Normal life doesn't have crazy artificial high big boosts like drugs and alcohol do. So all those little things aren't able to make you feel good anymore. It affects everything all down the road of what could possibly bring you joy. So that's why they say alcohol and addiction to alcohol, uh, it limits your experience, it limits your capacity to experience joy in this world. And to the point where the only thing that feels good comes from these artificial high boosts of alcohol, of drugs, of things like porn, you know, unnatural things that produce these unnatural highs that you can't get through the natural things of life. So this is what's going on in your brain when you decide, you know what, I'm just going to have one drink or two drinks tonight. I'm going to try and limit myself. Guess what? It You're going to be stuck in this depressant effect. And But it's a good, if you do end up there tonight, it's a good mindful drinking experience. I want you to jot it down, jot down how you were feeling after that first drink, jot down how you're feeling after that second drink. And if you do manage to stop yourself from continuing to drink, Jot down how you're feeling. Capture exactly what is going on emotionally, the thoughts running through your head, so that you can use this as a data point for yourself for future for future drinking episodes. And you recall, huh, okay, yeah, technically I stopped feeling good. I now feel worse than when I started drinking. So this desire of me to be in a different state of mind, it kind of backfired. We traded 20 minutes of a buzz, of a high, for hours. This depressant effect lasts hours. This adrenaline and cortisol lasts even longer to the next day. And again, if you're drinking regularly, this effect can last two to three days in your system. And if you're drinking every three days, then you are always, always in a chronic state of this this cycle. And um, that's why it pays off in dividends to give yourself a significant break from alcohol so that your system can really get back to homeostasis. And guess what? You, all the things that start to, that were little joys in life, those start to feel good again. And all the little health benefits that you are working on, you know, you're working on your sleep, you're working on your diet, you're working on your fitness, that stuff starts to stack up incrementally and it starts to all be you're you're just on the up instead of in recovery mode instead of always trying to climb back out and achieve homeostasis after drinking you are now climbing you're actually making progress and that is an incredible incredible moment when you start to realize oh my gosh alcohol was holding me back in so many ways um that is an exciting thing and you can't get there until you give yourself a long enough break to have the perspective and that is what this month is about to gain perspective you have been drinking for decades even if you don't consider yourself a problem drinker even if you consider yourself a social drinker or just a weekend warrior someone who drinks on the weekends this effect is lingering in your body it is holding you back in every single possible way. And so this is worth it to commit to close the door on drinking tonight and then tomorrow you do the same thing and you do it and you keep continue to do it. But right now just focus on tonight. Close the door. Eliminate that decision making fatigue that is trying to sabotage you. It is waiting for your willpower to fatigue for it to say, "Hey, 
Remember this old pattern, this drinking pattern? There's a cue. There's a cue. There's a cue. Let's drink. Let's drink. So we need to eliminate that. And another way we're going to eliminate that and to make it as frictionless as possible is we are going to stay above that 50% line. So this is another tactic that I rely on to this day, even though I, I don't feel any urge or desire to drink, I know that I function better when I am staying above my 50% line. One of the reasons we drink is because we're feeling low. We are stressed. We are anxious. We are tired. We want to forget. Um, we want to change our current state of being and achieve something else. And alcohol has been the easiest, quickest remedy for a very, very long time to the point where we have forgotten how to do these other things without alcohol. We're like, oh, how do I have fun? How do I, you know, connect? How do I relax and unwind without my glass of wine, without my cocktail at night? So here is something you can do proactively right now during this day is we are going to stay above that 50% line. And so that means if you are stuck at your desk and you're working and you're tired and you're hungry, we got to pay attention to those things. So halt is one of the things you look at. So age is hungry. Are you hungry? Are you nourishing yourself throughout the day? Or are you just pounding caffeine and not paying attention to your signals that, hey, I, I could use a little food right now. I could use a little sustenance and not in the form of caffeine and not in the form of sugar. Am I being intentional about some food I can put in my body right now? A is anger. Are you pissed off about something? And how do we manage that anger? So a lot of times it could just be like, I need to get this energy, this angry energy out of my body. One of the best things you can do for that is just move, get up, move your body, take movement breaks throughout your day, set a little timer on your watch, set a little timer on your phone and um, get up every 15, 20 minutes and go for a walk. If you can get outside and see the sun, this is even better. Sunlight is a massive, massive boost to your dopamine. It's great for helping your circadian rhythms throughout the day saying, okay, this is where the sun is in the sky. Your body, all of your cellular systems are trying to run on this, this circadian rhythm, but we keep throwing it off with all of our screens. All of the light our eyes get from our screens at night throws off our circadian rhythms. So if you can regularly see the sunlight throughout the day and give yourself lots of, you know, boosts of that, it's going to help you sleep better at night and wake up at the time you want to wake up in the morning. What is the L? Lonely on halt. If you are lonely and you need to connect with somebody, tell a friend that you're doing this sober October connect with people. There is strength in numbers. They can also hold you accountable. So reach out, make, be intentional about what you're going to do tonight so that you're not lonely. All right. If you, all of your friends are drinking and they're all going into drinking environments, I, I do recommend perhaps staying away from that, especially just in this early phase where, you know, I call that your, your alcohol-free baby, it's a newborn baby. You don't want to take it out into public. You don't want to expose it to all these things in these triggering environments. You want to protect it. So if you can't find a friend to do something with or you're, you know, tonight, then Netflix it up, get a book, or reward yourself with something awesome, some incredible form of self-care. So one of the things I did early on is instead of, you know, rewarding myself with alcohol, I would say if I make it another week, 
I'm going to reward myself with a massage. I'm going to book a massage for a Friday night. I'm going to book a facial. I'm going to book um, a manicure, pedicure. Anything that is just another way to treat yourself that isn't alcohol. This can feel so good. It's something you're going to look forward to. It is true, real self-care. Alcohol is not self-care. I hate to break it to you, but it is tricking your brain. It is dulling your senses. It makes you think this is the good life, but it is 100% a trick and it is damaging you. We need to change the thought that alcohol is a reward and, and switch it. Alcohol is not a reward. It is a toxic poison that damages every organ it comes in contact with. It wrecks your sleep. It wrecks your gut health. It wrecks your hormonal health. It makes you dehydrated. It ages you. And this is not how we should be rewarding ourselves, okay? This idea that it's worth it, that the trade-off is worth it, I really, really want to challenge you on that because it's you have to, you have to really, really, really think about all your other goals in this life, especially as women, especially in this phase of our life, all the things we're after. If I told you that, you know, cheese was sabotaging all of these efforts, could you eliminate the cheese? Could you be like, what? I didn't know that. I would stop. I'll never buy cheese again, you know? But alcohol, we we are so blinded and we are so unwilling to confront it and look at it because we have tied it to all these other benefits that we think it provides. We think it provides our fun. We think it provides our relaxation. We think it provides this ability to come out of our shell and connect. But the, but the truth of the matter is you have been conditioned to use that. All addictive substances do this. It is the effect on the brain and it is not your fault. You have a human brain. And alcohol is an addictive substance, and this is what it does to your brain. It eliminates all these other options that you could be doing for all of these things. And that is the truth of the matter, that you don't need alcohol to relax. There are a thousand other things you can do to relax. You don't need alcohol to have fun. There's a thousand other things you can do for fun. And what people say, well, what do you, what do, you do for fun without alcohol? I do the same things everybody's drinking does for fun. I just don't drink. And that's like, you end up doing the same things and you get as much pleasure out of it, if not more. In fact, I get more pleasure because my senses aren't dulled. My senses are alive. And and what's interesting is that alcohol keeps you small. It keeps you stuck in a small little loop. You You go and repeat the same behaviors in the same places with the same people and call it entertaining because you are drinking a neurotoxin and you're convincing your brain that this is a fun experience. My life, because I'm no longer drinking, yes, you end up doing new things. Yes, you end up trying new things, meeting new people, exploring more because you, you don't, you're not relying on this alcohol to just entertain you and be like, well, I've got nothing to do tonight, so I'm just going to go sit in this bar and drink this thing until it becomes a fun experience. But in reality, sitting in one place for three hours with the same people who, who continue to get drunker and drunker, it's really actually not that entertaining. When you take the alcohol away and you're like, what were we doing? Um, you know, if you film it like an like an animal channel episode and we're like, look at the humans. They all gather in these one places and they drink this substance and they stay there and they get progressively drunker and drunker and their brains get more dulled and dulled and dulled. And they think this experience is really living. This They think this is their 
living their best life. And that to me, when I think back to how much time I spent doing that, it kind of bums me out. It kind of makes me think, man, how, why did I wait so long? And again, it's not, it's not our fault. We have been conditioned to think that this is, this is the best life. And that if you rem- remove it, you're not going to enjoy your life. You're not going to experience, which couldn't be more categorically wrong. I have enriched my life in every possible way by cutting out the alcohol because my brain is now seeking dopamine in all these other ways, seeking novelty, you know, new experiences in all these other ways because it is alive and it is growing. You know, alcohol, because it dulls your anxieties, because it dulls your um, nerves, and it does this only temporarily. It does nothing to actually fix the issues, right? It just dulls it temporarily. It just puts the blinders on to whatever's bugging you. You fail to grow during that time because you're you're numbing the very systems in your body that are designed to help you change. They're designed to alarm you. Hey, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel right. What are you going to do about it? And you're like, you know what? I'm just going to drink. I'm just going to numb that sensation. I'm going to numb that feeling. I'm not going to do anything about it. And then tomorrow, that thing is still there. And it's still there. And it's still there. And it's still there. And you become kind of in a chronic state of anxiety because now you've actually added to your anxiety with all the adrenaline and cortisol boosting in your system now from the alcohol. And it just compounds. And so one of the best things, that anxiety and early sobriety that you feel because you are no longer numbing, it's it's necessary and you have to pay attention to it and you have to listen to what it's actually telling you because now you have the capacity to make a difference about it. You can change the things that are really, really bugging you because you're not going to numb it anymore. You're going to listen and you can change it. Um, all right. So we are almost at time. I wanted to give you one more tip about willpower tonight and why in the early stages we rely heavily on willpower because we haven't quite convinced ourselves that alcohol is not necessary to have fun and to relax. We are still in this kind of early stages of like, but maybe like we're starting to question it. We're starting to question those beliefs that, you know, I need alcohol to have fun. I need alcohol to relax. Um, And we're starting to kind of open the door and go, maybe I'm wrong about this, right? But all those cues and triggers to drink are still there on a Friday night. You know, we have our familiar patterns. We're done with work. We want to relax. And we're like, how do I interrupt this behavior? Okay. So the reason why willpower doesn't work in these moments and it eventually fails is because there is that cognitive dissonance. It's because you consciously are desiring to not drink, but that subconscious is still believing on some level that alcohol is necessary. So pay attention to those thoughts in your head at night that are coming up. This is how you start to hack those beliefs. What thoughts are you telling yourself? What what is running through your head? If you can find the most charged thing you're telling yourself about what benefit you think alcohol is going to provide, catch it, work on it, say that thought out loud, say, oh man, I thought alcohol was necessary for me to enjoy this movie on the couch with with my husband. I thought alcohol was going to make it better. Say it out loud because you're calling 
it into your consciousness. You're pulling it out of the subconscious and you're shining a light on it and you're saying, this is the thought right now that's sabotaging me. This is the one that has me craving alcohol because that's the genesis of it is the thought. How do we change that thought? Because nine times out of 10, that thought is not true. It is not true that alcohol is going to do these things for you. In fact, it often is doing the very opposite. Until you, through repetition and conditioning, you retrain your brain to say, no, alcohol is not doing that for me. It's sabotaging me. What else can I do? What thought, now that I say alcohol is not necessary for this, it creates possibility for you to do a new behavior. All right? And the more you get, the better you get at that, of replacing those thoughts with a thought that actually is true and that actually serves you, then you don't even need willpower anymore. You have no desire to drink because you're not being lured by these lies about alcohol anymore, okay? You know the truth and you can choose a better option for yourself, one that nourishes you, one that makes you feel good in the morning that you can look forward to and be excited about. And once your brain starts associating all of that positivity, those positive emotions, those positive feelings, that positive health with this choice of not drinking, the easier and easier it gets. This is neuroplasticity. This is how you fundamentally change your behavior around alcohol. It starts with the thoughts. So. I love working with you guys, and I would love to hear from you and hear what thoughts keep coming up from you, what you're struggling with. Please um, email me, share with me so that I can address these more um, on these uh, calls with you guys and um, tailor this information to be even more applicable for you. So I appreciate you all being here. If you want... Hey team, you've just listened to an episode of Find Myself Free. And if some part of this left you wanting more, if your curiosity has been piqued and your intuition is telling you, I'm ready for more, I'm ready to look at my relationship to alcohol and find out just how much it's holding me back, then check out my coaching offers at findmyselffree.com. I offer the Brave course to kickstart your break on your own time, or you can hop on a call with me and talk about one-on-one coaching. I worked with a coach for four months at the start of my alcohol-free journey, and it made all the difference. Being able to talk to someone who knew what I was going through and could help me navigate my new world gave me a foundation of support I could build on, and it's a big reason why I'm a coach today. I want to help others find their freedom and level up their health. As always, if you like this episode, please like, follow, and share. And until next time, I'm with you. You got this.